been here the last few weeks, you know we're in a series talking about sexuality and spirituality. You're probably wondering, why would you merge those two words together? They seem like really opposite things. Well, the reason we're doing it is because both spirituality and sexuality are about that deep longing that we have to connect with other people or to connect with God. The definition of sexuality I'm using is that's our deep desire to connect with other people. It's not always referring to what happens in the bedroom. It's not always referring to what's romantic. Sometimes it's platonic and sometimes it's friendship. But sexuality is that desire we have to have friendships and connect with other people. And spirituality is that deep desire and longing that we have to connect with God. To not only know God, to be known by God. And during the series, I've been talking about what can interrupt these relationships. What can interrupt our relationship with God is these tributaries in our life, these influences in our life that sabotage the relationships that we want to make. So if we're going to talk about spirituality and sexuality, we also need to identify anything that the Apostle Paul would call intruders, things in our life that would make it hard to connect with other people or make it difficult to even have a relationship with God. So today I want to talk about what God has done for us to help influence us so we can have better relationships with him and others. But before that, I need to talk a little bit about a podcast that I listened to earlier this week. For uh, earlier this week, I listened to a podcast by John Eldridge, and the podcast was back in uh, June of this year. Some of you might know the name John Eldridge. John Eldridge is a ministry leader. He lived in Colorado Springs, and he is a well-known author, a well-known men's ministry influencer, also has a great deal of education and knowledge in the world of psychology. So he's kind of this uh, amazing resource. And so I was listening to this podcast the other day by him, and again, it was recorded in June of this year. And he was talking about the emotional effects that COVID has had on us. He was talking about the psychological effects that COVID has had on all of us. Not, he wasn't referring to the physical, about getting COVID, about what has it been like to live in this culture that's experienced so much COVID. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed listening to John and his knowledge and his psychology knowledge of what it has done to people, how it has influenced and affected people's mental health. Specifically, he was talking about how the trauma of experiencing COVID has influenced some of our current unwanted behavior. And because of the number of COVID cases that are down, that doesn't mean that the destruction of COVID is all over. So I think a lot of people think, okay, we're emerging from COVID. It's kind of down. The numbers are down. People aren't getting it as bad that we are not, it's not impacting us. But John was kind of, kind of making a warning call, saying even though the numbers are down, it is still influencing many people. Living through the trauma of two years of COVID just doesn't go away over time. I love the fact that John was referring to ex- the experience of COVID as traumatic. I think sometimes we don't name it. COVID has been traumatic on people's mental health. It's been tr- traumatic on our psychological health. And I'm glad that he referred to it as trauma because we need to see it as trauma. I think a lot of people have not really realized how much COVID has impacted you or how much COVID has maybe caused a traumatic experience for you. So that's why I'm kind of passionate about this message today. I'm passionate about talking about this because we want to identify and name things in our life that might be influencing us that would be robbing us of a deep, intimate relationship with God or even with our friends. So before I go on, I need to say, okay, what is trauma? Now, trauma is one of those words that, you know, you could, a lot of definitions from different um, 
knowledgeable people. So I'm going to give you the quick and easy, the Webster's Dictionary. Trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. That's what trauma is when you have something very distressing and disturbing. Now, you know, these can be little T traumas that we'll refer to, small T traumas, things that are hard, difficult in your life, but you know, you're going to get over them. They're not going to be that hard. Someday you're going to look back and you kind of forget that that even happened. And then some people experience what we call big T traumas, capital T traumas, things in your life that are not just going to go away with time. Things in your life that aren't going to go away just because you're going to think differently or actively. These are things that need to be addressed. Things in your life that are going to be, have big consequences on your life that you're going to need some outside help or influence to overcome. And then we also have a third category, and that's little T traumas that add up to big T traumas. Sometimes you have a little trauma, another little trauma, another little trauma, another trauma, and sooner or later you are dealing with something that's bigger than you can even handle. So that's kind of the definition I want to give a trauma because trauma can look different, but sometimes you can have symptoms of trauma that are very similar in your life. So in this podcast, John also listed four main symptoms that you're seeing in people that have experienced trauma from COVID on their emotional or mental health. Now, the first uh, symptom of, of trauma that we've seen from COVID is number one, people are spent and they don't have any reserves left. People feel like they're at the end. People feel like I have no more patience left. People feel like I get so agitated so quickly and I don't know why. This have this where people are blowing up really quickly. You're even watching politics, how ugly it's got over the last two years. I mean, there's, you can't even have a, 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 a disagreement. Everything turns ugly really quickly. Even see that even in religion. You see that even people in churches they are disagreeing and fighting over trivial things. I mean, people are picking sides based on some little trivial thing that has nothing to do with salvation or eternity. But people are fighting hard for that. John pointed out in his interview that one of the best illustrations of people losing their composure and losing their patience is seen in the airline industry. Prior to COVID, you'd probably have maybe 10 incidences a month of somebody behaving really poorly in an airplane that would require the plane to land and, you know, the, the police would come on board and arrest the person and take them out. Prior to COVID, maybe 100 of those situations a year, which is kind of small, 100 when you consider how many flights are taken internationally all over the world. Now, during 2021, that number went from 100 to over 500 that year. And there's a lack of flights that year. But people are just not keeping it together. In 2022, we're more on track to have a thousand of those in, um, incidents this year. You're seeing a 10 times increase of people's just poor behavior that they can't hold it together. So that's the first thing about trauma that it shows. People are just having a hard time. They're spent and they don't have any reserves. They can't lean back in like a capacity to be patient. A second thing that you're seeing with people is people are having this feeling that they are just burnt out they're done. We watched over the last couple of years, people are just quitting their jobs. People had a successful career. Suddenly they're like, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm quitting my job. I got to find something a little bit easier. I got to find something different. Now, what makes that hard when you're burnt out in the United States, the United States, we are an achievement culture. We value people based on what you produce or what you can achieve. And suddenly, you can't produce, you can't achieve, you're burnt out, it creates crisis for people. People are so discouraged, and that leads us to the third thing, is people are experiencing a loss of creativity. 
People that are creative minds, people that produce things, are saying, I have no ideas. I'm tapped. I don't have any ideas. I don't have any creative thing to do. People that are known for creative, creativity, artists, they're stepping back and saying, I got nothing. That's a sign of trauma. It's a sign of trauma. When you are so spent, you can't think of anything creative. And the fourth symptom of trauma that people have experienced post-COVID, forgetfulness. People are just forgetting things. John was talking about he has a staff of 18 people. He said, you know, they work hard, diligent. But he said for the last two years, he's had to have so much grace for his staff because people are forgetting things. You can have a staff meeting, say, okay, you do this, you do that, and people walk out of the room, they forget. You send emails to people, and they're like, sorry, I didn't respond, I completely forgot. You can have a half-hour conversation with people, and they're like, I totally forgot what you said. It's because we've been through COVID. We've been through a trauma. We've been through two years of a pandemic that we didn't know when it was going to end, and we're still kind of wondering. I mean, that's traumatic. I mean, one thing, life's going along fine. Next thing you know, okay, we're done with school. You're thinking, well, maybe this will be a week or two or three. Next thing you know, we've got two years going. That's what made it so traumatic is we didn't know when it was going to end. And on top of that, you're watching people get sick and hurt, and it's just destructive. So, I mean, you could probably think of a lot more reasons, a lot, a lot more symptoms of COVID, of the trauma of COVID, but I just want to point these four out to give you the idea that what does trauma do? It fragments people. Trauma separates people. It fragments the brain. It fragments short-term memory, and it makes you feel tired, and you're irritated, and you just don't have any reserves. But now this is the good news. This is the good news. There's another category. We, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what we've just been talking about. But there's another category called post-traumatic growth. We talked about this a couple years ago during COVID. I think it's good to bring up again. There's post-traumatic growth. That not everything needs to end with a disorder, but it actually can end in a growth experience. So uh, uh, Richard Tadashi, a a, a doctor, he's described five common characteristics of post-traumatic growth. And that is number one, there's an increased appreciation for life in general. You go through something difficult, but then you overcome, you come away with this deeper appreciation for life. Number two, you have a more meaningful interpersonal relationships with other people. You just value other people more. The third thing, there's an increase in a sense of personal growth. You're like, yeah, I overcame. This is good. I'm excited. And the fourth thing is, there's a change in priorities. You go through something traumatic, you overcome, you change your priorities. And the fifth thing is, it increases a deeper spiritual life. That's what God's goal is for us. We've been traumatized by COVID. We've been traumatized of the events of COVID. But God wants to bring us through it and give us growth. That should be no surprise because that's the big theme of the Bible. That's Romans 5. That's James 1, that God can take suffering in difficult things and turn them into blessings to give us a hope and a future. But the big question remains, why do some people grow while other people are devastated? What's the deciding factor of who is going to overcome and who is maybe going to stay in that little traumatic season of their life? Well, Robert uh, Stellaro, he's a psychoanalyst and a philosopher, he determined two things that are going to differentiate the person who overcomes and the person who doesn't. Number one, The nature of the trauma or the stereotype of the trauma does not determine the outcome. The nature of the trauma 
or the stereotype of the trauma does not determine the outcome. A lot of people think, oh yeah, well maybe this category of people, well that's not as hard, they can overcome. Well, maybe if it's something extra violent, they will not. No, the nature has nothing to do with it. The trauma that you have experienced is not a determination if you're going to overcome or not overcome. There was one reason why some people overcome and the reason some don't. And it came down to meaningful relationships. It all came down to relationships. The person who's able to experience post-traumatic growth had meaningful relationships in their life that allowed them to process their story in a meaningful and a safe way. That's really what it came down to. It didn't come down to the person having a list of things that they had to do, do this and this and this and this. No. A person's ability to overcome came down to they had a person in their life that loved them and would listen to them. That is the determining factor of a person who experiences something devastating to the person who overcomes. So why am I bringing this up? Because that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to give you growth. He wants you to experience post-traumatic growth. He wants to give you integration. I'm bringing this up today because there are so many people that are so discouraged by life right now. There are so many people that are so discouraged by their own behavior. There's so many people that are so discouraged because of their browser history on their computer. There's so many people that find themselves doing things they don't want to do and they don't know how to stop. Or they don't even have sometimes even the desire to stop and they know what they're doing is destructive. And people are living in so much guilt and shame and sometimes we need to pause and we need to say, why is this happening? Or say, why am I feeling this way? And sometimes we need to stop and say, what is driving my behavior right now? We need to get curious. What's driving my behavior right now? Sometimes we don't ask that question. Sometimes we forget these traumatic things in our life are driving our behavior. It's not you. It's not you because you're a bad person. No, there are in things that are influencing your life that are causing some of this. Now, before I continue, I need to say one thing. And if you're going to only listen to one part of my message, listen to the next five seconds. Romans 8, verse 38 says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's what you need to hear today. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Jesus wants to remind us all. There's nothing to separate you from his love. There's nothing at all. His love for you is a constant. His love for you is an anchor. His love for you is a holding place. See, when we're going to look at hard things, when we're going to look at things that say, what is driving my behavior? What's driving me to do the unwanted things in my life? We have to do it from a perspective that God loves us. Not from the perspective I'm trying to get God to love me, but no, from the perspective that God loves me and he is not startled or surprised by any of the behavior that I'm doing right now.
There's nothing I have done or am doing or might do tomorrow that would actually surprise God. He loves you no matter what is going on in your life. And he wants to show you compassion and kindness. And he wants us all to overcome the traumatic season that we have been through. We don't need to work to get to God's, to earn God's love. That's a constant. But we, meet, but we may need to work at slowing down so you can experience the love of God and so you can lean into community. Community is what we need to be doing right now. Kurt, Dr. Kurt Thompson, he points out that one of the reasons many people have been exhausted during COVID is because we were created to live in community with other people. And that abruptly stopped. And when that stops, when being able to live in a healthy community stops, it drains your batteries. It drains your reserves. And I love the illustration that Dr. Thompson points out. He says the best way to drain a cell phone battery is when your cell phone is on and it's lost connection with the tower. Your phone works so hard if it lost connection trying to connect. You will expend more energy on your phone trying to connect to a tower than anything else. And he says that's exactly what happened to us during COVID. We are trying to connect with other people, but we couldn't because of the barriers or the obstacles or the mask or the social distancing, and it just drained your batteries. And it takes a while to recharge your batteries. You can't just say, oh, COVID's kind of down. The numbers are down. Poof, I'm back to normal. No, it takes a while. So I want to look at the book of Hebrews today and what the book of Hebrews in chapter 3 says about friendships and community. I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 12 through 14. So I'm going to take a little jump. The stuff in the middle is very important, but I don't have time to explain it today. So it says, number one, so my dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. Then jump down to verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and the hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. So what does all this mean? I love how the chapter starts, and he says, think carefully. I want you to think carefully about who Jesus is and what he came to do. I love that. I love that encouragement. I think Paul, I think, or whoever the author is of Hebrews is saying, you know what? Slow down. Don't just skip through these first two verses thinking I'm going to get to the other stuff. I want you to slow down and think for a minute, who is Jesus? And what did he come to do? See, what you see in the scripture is what God is saying is that he loves you so much. He desires to be with you so much, so he sent Jesus to come in the flesh to be with you. That's why it says slow down and read this. Jesus came to be the ambassador of God. He came to be the messenger of God. See, it means that Jesus came what? He came to represent God. Jesus came to show you love and compassion. Jesus came to speak hope to you. Jesus came to speak encouragement to you. He came to give you direction. 
He came to listen to your confessions. He came to listen to your problems. He came to listen to your situations. And he came to lay down his life for you. See, James 5.13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. God sent Jesus in the flesh because he wanted to show you that he is your friend. That's kind of a radical to think about. That the creator and the sustainer of the universe says, I'm your friend. I'm not just your God. I'm not just your father. But I am your friend. That's why the author says, slow down. Think about this. Think about the very fact that you have Jesus as your very own friend. See, that's very good news because each and every one of us was created with an ache and a desire to have friendships. That's the way we are wired. See, the thing is, we, we have a lot of desires. We have a lot of desires that have gone, well, they've gone wrong. We have a lot of desires for things that we know we're not supposed to do. We have a lot of desires we don't even want to talk about because we're embarrassed about them. But there's one desire that God has given to each and every human being that is good and it's godly, and we need to cultivate that. And the desire that God gave to every single person is a desire to have a friendship. That's universal. God gave each and every one of us that desire. The desire to have friends, the desire to have deep friendships is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's not a sign of weakness. Your desire to have friendships, meaningful friendships, that's actually a sign of health. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, it's kind of an interesting. Genesis 1 and 2, everything's perfect in the Bible. There's no sin, there's no shame, there's no discouragement. Everything is perfect in, in Genesis 1 and 2. And what does God do? He goes around saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. Genesis chapter 3 happens. Suddenly sin, sin enters the world. So from Genesis 3 to the end of the Bible, we're dealing with sin. But Genesis 1 and 2, God's saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. Until, right before Genesis 3, God says, this is not good. And what did God say was not good? He said for Adam to be alone. Everything's perfect, Genesis 1 and 2, and God says there's one thing that's not perfect, and that is that Adam is alone. That's remarkable. Now, this is not a manifesto that everybody needs to get married. Not at all. You go back to the New Testament saying some of you are not supposed to get married. This is a calling that we're not supposed to be alone. See, I love what Tim Keller says. You listen to the sentence. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. The ache for friends is, not, is one ache that is not the result of sin. This one ache is part of perfection. Adam could not even enjoy the paradise God created completely alone. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is one ache that is part of his perfection. Adam could not even enjoy the paradise alone. That's remarkable. God made us in a way that we cannot enjoy life alone. We only enjoy life when we are in a community, when we're together with friends. 
Your desire for deep and meaningful friendships is not a sign of dysfunction. It is not a sign of neediness. It's a sign of your health and your maturity. We are created to desire friends and to live in community. And that's why Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 models to us friendships. And it models to us that Jesus is your friend, that God is your friend. Because the truth is, sometimes in this earth, you might go through a season here or there where you're like, I don't feel like I have any friends. People friends. And that's what Hebrews wants to remind you, that when you don't have any people friends and you're yearning for deeper friends, you remember that Jesus is your friend. He is always your friend. But see, then Hebrews 12 and 13, it goes on and it gives us a warning of what happens if you don't have friendships. It says easily what can happen is you can experience unbelief or you can experience your heart growing hard. Now first there's unbelief. Unbelief is simply the unwillingness to trust God. Instead you trust yourself. That's happened a lot during COVID. A lot of people have been so discouraged by God, so discouraged by what's happened. They're like, okay, I'll, I'll believe in God for eternity, but for until I die, I don't have a lot of hope. I don't have a lot of belief. That's where a lot of people are right now. God wants to change that in your life. God sees your situation, and he wants to step into that so you experience the friendship with Jesus, but also you experience friendship with other people. Because the scripture's warning us about what happens with a hardness of heart. See, when you have a hardness of heart, you don't respond when God's doing things in your life. You're not responding to the love that Jesus is showing you. You don't respond to the voice of God anymore. And God's warning us, don't let that happen. So how do you not let that happen? How do you not grow cold to God in unbelief and hardness of heart? That's where verse 13 comes in. It says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and the hardening against God. Another translation says, but exhort one another daily. Exhort one another daily while it is still today so that none of you would be deceived by sin and the hardness of heart. See, to exhort somebody, that means to encourage them. Exhort means to come alongside of somebody. The word exhort is one of the three words that's used in the New Testament to mean preach. That means preach to your friends. Preach to your friends the good news. Preach to your friends the truth of who God is. Tell, tell, your, peop, tell your friends what God's doing in their life. Listen to your friends. Reflect truth back to them. I think sometimes the word friend has just been trivialized so much in our culture. So I think Tim Keller suggests using the idea of a spiritual friendship. That you say, my friendship with you is not just based on, hey, I want to go hang out and, you know, just whatever. But my friendship with you is going to be based on the fact that we're going to put Jesus first in our life and we want to be friends with each other to help each other to become more like Christ. That's the kind of friendships that we need to have. Friendships where Christ is first. And you're saying to your people around you, you're saying your community around you, you're saying to the grove around you, this is how you can become more like Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal of these friendships that God's calling us to. These deep friendships that are based on putting Jesus first in your life and helping another person to reflect Christ to each other so we are not deceived by sin. 
See, John Eldridge, he mentioned in that podcast, he said, for so many people, they thought, you know what, COVID's hard, it's difficult. You know what I'll do? COVID's getting a little less and less. I'll take a two weeks vacation and then I'll be reset. 2022 was expected to be the biggest travel year in the history of the United States in decades. Everybody was booking up their vacations thinking, oh, that's all I'm going to do. I'll just go on vacation. Do you know what the result was? Everybody going on vacation to their mental health? Nothing. It did nothing for people. Time is not going to heal trauma. Running to another state is not going to heal trauma. Deep, personal friendships is what's going to heal trauma. Sitting and listening to your friends is going to heal your trauma. See, friendships is a two-way street. See, you need to be speaking truth to the other person, but you also need to be hearing truth from the other person. But see, so often we don't, we don't like to sit and ask the questions, why? What's going on? What's influencing my behavior? We don't like that. We're just like, just put that behind me. We like to rebuke these things. That doesn't work. You can rebuke all you want. It doesn't work. So now Becky's going to come up and share with us all, what do you do with these tough emotions? <laughs> now let me warn you all. This was my great idea I had yesterday morning at 9 a.m. So she didn't have a ton of time, but this is Becky. So anyway, give her a round of applause. Yay! Yeah. Honestly, don't know how to follow that up. That was amazing. Thank you, Jack. Well, what got Jack thinking about um, about having me come up and do this was that I did exactly what Jack suggested. I came to him earlier this week uh, with something that that I had actually written in my journal. Don't share my journal very much with a lot of people. I'm not like Lori in that way. I get a little personal with my journal, but I had drawn this picture. Now I want. This picture, I know you can't see it very clearly from there, and I do want to be very careful to say that this is not my concept. This came from the Disney movie Inside Out. And in Inside Out, one of the emotions that they presented, which, by the way, is an excellent movie, um, they presented the emotion of sadness, and this is a picture of sadness. And I was talking with Jack about this picture and about sadness in general and why I was feeling sad. And this is what I wrote next to it, and he said yesterday morning, I think you need to share that. So what I wrote in my journal, again, unlike Lori, don't normally share what I write in my journal, but here it goes. This is my old friend's sadness. She sometimes comes to call. Sometimes we talk, and sometimes we just sit quietly together. And then she moves on, but she never really leaves until she is fully understood. And she usually has something to say that I need to understand. I've learned to give her a hug when she comes around and invite God into our talks. But sometimes I need to remind her that she's a visitor and not a roommate. So he asked me to share that and go into a little bit. And, and the subsequent talk that he and I had, and you know, it's interesting, I was thinking about this. I, I, I showed you this a little, about five days before, uh, part of what precipitated this is I drew her friend and fellow uh, 
and fellow movie mate, Anger. I was really angry. There was something that came up that made me pretty angry. And I, I decided instead of just being mad at that situation, I was going to sit with it. I was going to figure out why I was so angry. And a few days later, guess what I figured out? I, I wasn't nearly as angry as I was sad. And that was part of what that was about. And being able to sit with Jack and talk about that as he being that part of my community helped me to make sense of my life, which is what we want to do here at the Stella Grove, a part of our community. So he asked me to talk a little bit about it because we had a long conversation about this, uh, about talking about ways to process uncomfortable emotions that we have, like sadness. So often our tendency in doing things like that is we tend to have an emotion that is painful and we want to shove it away. We want to cover it up. We want to think of something else real quick or we end up doing our unwanted behaviors so that we're not stuck in this cycle of just feeling stuff we don't want to be feeling. And, it can, it, it, and that's partly what gets us into unwanted things. So we, there's got to be a better way of processing that. And what I realized as I was doing this and, um, was that God gave us every single one of our emotions exactly like he gave us every part of our body. Every single emotion you have felt God put in there even those unwanted and uncomfortable ones. See, in my body, when I start feeling cold, I don't like that feeling, but it's telling me something needs to happen. So I go put on a sweater. Or if I feel sudden pain in my finger and I look down and I have a splinter, that, it's, I, I don't, it's inappropriate for me to say, God, take my pain away. It is appropriate for me to go get a pair of tweezers and get out the splinter. So, we do need to bring God into that, but I'm just saying that those negative emotions that we feel are often just telling us, hey, something's going on that we need to pay attention to. And you know what? A lot of time, God is the one bringing those emotions to us. So when we're sitting there praying and praying, God, take this emotion away, he's going to gently say to us, not till you get it. Not till you understand it, because that's going to bring healing to you. That's what's going to move you into a new place of being able to connect with each other and being able to connect with me. So that's at least the way it works in my life. And then I began realizing as I was putting this together that our emotions are actually something that we have to steward. Isn't that interesting? I didn't really think about that before probably today, just like you would steward your body or your money or your time, your emotions are also something that need to be stewarded, not run away from. So if you're feeling a great deal of sadness or grief or something like that, it's something to steward. So God has got to have given us a way to do that. So that's just what I want to talk about real briefly about that. First, I want to say this. It's not helpful to minimize so it's not helpful to say, well, gee, I only have a splinter in my finger, but that person's needed surgery in the hand, so the splinter in my finger no longer counts. No, that's not the way that works. You still got to get rid of your splinter, or else you're going to be needing the one needing surgery in your hands pretty soon. So you've, you just, you, you know, when you just say, well, gee, I'm feeling this way, but they have it worse, so, you know, that's not helpful. I'm just going to say that to you. Don't minimize because somebody else is going through something that you perceive as worse. Your grief and your sadness is personalized to you. 
It's individualized. And it's something that God is just as concerned with as they are about the person who's just had surgery on their hand. That's how much he loves you. So don't minimize. That's something that we like to do to kind of cover up our pain. Now I'm going to get a little bit... I hope I don't offend anyone with this, but I'm going to talk about gratitude lists. I love gratitude lists. I have plenty of them. I think that they're very, very important. However, if you use a gratitude list to cover up your pain and just say, well, look at everything I got to be grateful for, so therefore, you're using it incorrectly. If you make a gratitude list, which I do, alongside of it, you need to make a grief list. Because when we go to God, this is one of the ways that God has given us to deal with these things, to say, oh, it's cold, I need to put a sweater on my body, saying, oh, I'm feeling sadness. Maybe that's trying to tell me something. One of the ways God has, um, has given us to deal with that emotion is by being honest with him about it. So when we come to him, we don't just come to him with, God, thank you for this and this and this. We need to come to God and say, thank you for this and this and this. Gratitude list, incredibly important. But when we come to God, we, he wants us to bring all of ourself as well. So that includes sadness. That includes anger. That includes fear. That includes our unwanted behaviors. That includes all of those things. And so... Anyway, those are the things that, that I, I'm just feeling about that. So I was in, next to this, I have written a passage, and that is this. The, close, the Lord, from Psalm 34, 18 and 19. The Lord is close to all those whose hearts are crushed by pain, and he is always ready to restore the repentant one. Even when bad things happen to the good and godly one, the Lord will save them, and they will not be defeated by what they face. See, here's the ultimate goal. God does not want you to live in sadness. He doesn't want sadness or grief to become your roommate. He has joy for you. But there's got to be a way to get to that. And pretending you're in joy isn't the way to do it. It's by dealing with the sadness and allowing him to turn it into, uh, into that that joy that you're going to feel. And one of the best, best ways he has done that for us is through our friends, through our community. I think that and prayer and just being willing to sit with it, even if it's uncomfortable, saying, okay, you're here, sadness, you're here, sadness, and I need to understand what it is you're trying to tell me. Because that's the only way I'm going to get you to leave, to be perfectly honest, is by understanding it. And we also have to remember that Jesus was a man of grief. A sorrows acquainted with grief is how he's described. If we look at it, we look that Jesus was, felt some very uncomfortable emotions, and they got written about for eternity. He had grief when Lazarus died. He felt that grief of the loss of his friend. He uh, had travail when he was in Jerusalem. He wept over the city. He was feeling that very deeply, and he in, indulged it and wept and cried out to God over it. Uh, we see when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, so deep was his grief and his pain that he sweat blood. Oh my gosh. Of course, they say that was also a disorder, but nevertheless, it was pretty deep grief. And then, of course, he had the grief of the cross. Jesus is so familiar with these uncomfortable, painful emotions. And I'm also going to tell you, he's just as familiar with every single temptation that comes as a result of these painful emotions. 
He's familiar with all of it. Jesus was not isolated from temptation. And Jesus could sin. He was a man. He gave up. He gave it up. He gave up his, his divinity to come. He could sin. But that's what made him Jesus. He didn't. And he was just as tempted as you and I have been. Anyway, I, I just that is basically what I have to share with you this morning, that, that, that really where we're going to find comfort is, number one, bringing all of ourselves to God, but honestly, community. I don't think I could have worked through a lot of the sadness that I was feeling that caused me to put these things in my journal had I not sat down with Jack and we had a real good long talk about it. And that is who we want to be here at the Stello Grove. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I wanted her to just illustrate what we do because we are all dealing with the consequences of trauma. We are all dealing with emotions and feelings and hard things in our life. That is good to sit in ourselves and wonder why, ask the why questions. But sometimes you need to sit with that other person. Say, this is what I'm experiencing. Because like I said, the survey, the, the, the results of how the people that had post-traumatic growth is when they were in community, is when we sat with that other person that listened. That's our invitation today, that God is your friend, Jesus is your friend, and he came to give you other people to be your friends. So I want to I close in prayer, and I'm going to, while Greg and the team are coming up to lead us in a song, and then we're all invited to charcuterie board. So... You can come up, go <laughs> fall down the steps. All right. Careful, Jack. So God, I thank you for today. And Lord, I thank you that there's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for a friend. And I thank you that Jesus is our friend. We thank you, Lord, that we have every single thing that we need in the person of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that gift. But God, I thank you that you've also gave us a desire to have human friends. God, I know each, every person, every person here is aching for more friends. The people online are aching for more friends. Lord, we need more deep friends. So God, I do pray that you'd supply the friends that we need so we can live lives of post-traumatic growth. God, I pray for everybody here at home listening, Lord, that we would experience the freedom from the trauma of COVID, from the trauma of just living life. Lord, I pray that we would all walk in the fullness and the abundance that you have for us. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray that we leave here transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen.